forcing Robs to actually use a script for a change. Well, I mean, you know, this is a, you know, the script for the episode reviews is a little pointless, really, apart from this first bit, because then we just go to our own notes. No, I make my notes in the script. Oh, I can't do that. My notes mean absolutely nothing, and I'm embarrassed when I have to put them in a public platform. Public? I'm the only one who can see them. Yeah, but that's just, I don't need any more embarrassment in my life than I, than I have in general. Welcome back to Marlison Guys, a monthly podcast about BBC's Marlin, where we talk about the show, the ships, the fandom, and the characters. I am Zencredible. And I'm Miss Snowfox. And today we are back with another episode review. I know we've had quite a few of these these last couple of months, but they're all kind of connected, and it just makes sense to have them all in one place together. And today is the final episode of season two, uh, episode 13, The Last Dragon Lord. We are there, finally. I'm so excited to talk about this episode, so I can't like This could not have come soon enough. <laughs> well, at least one of us is. That's great. <laughs> uh, and before we start with that, we will go into some talkbacks. But also, quick announcement, we're not going to do news anymore because, well, to be quite honest, I can't be bothered. There's rarely anything new to report anyway. It's always the same three things that I mention. And yeah, I... That's like, I'm not trying to be like mean or anything, but I honestly just cannot be bothered. So no more news section. And I can like, by now you should know where all the news are on Tumblr and LifeJournal and Twitter. So I'm sure you can find them for yourselves. Anyway, talk bag. We have one. We, yeah, I mean, we have, we have quite a few these days, I think. <laughs> We're doing quite well. So this comment is from Fiona, who responded to our review of Lady of the Lake with the following. Do you actually like this show or is there just more fun to pick things apart? Isn't it ever okay for things just to be fun? <laughs> like, okay, it's, look, look, okay, I feel like there's some pent-up frustration with how we review episodes, but like, if all we did was sit here and praise how amazing this show was, be lies. <laughs> That would be inaccurate, and it would be extremely boring for everyone. So, like, yeah, this show is fun to watch most of the time. It's also fun to pick apart a lot of the time. And, like, we like to look at it more closely. Just because we criticize it, it doesn't mean we don't enjoy it, or that no one else is allowed to enjoy it. Like, you know, both Rox and I are interested in meta and analysis, like, Rox went so far as to get a degree in filmmaking. Oh yeah, I did. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> and like, we're both very critical of the media that we watch, but that doesn't mean that we don't enjoy the things just for the heck of it. And like, to be quite honest with you, if I didn't spend time analyzing Merlin and getting upset about all the missed opportunities and all the plot holes, and if I didn't spend just as much time headcanoning how we could fix them, and sometimes fix them very easily, <laughs> I wouldn't still be involved in this fandom at all. I would have never have written any fic for it. The flaws are what make it interesting. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So like, dear Fiona, you are, uh, if you're even still listening, I don't know, you might have, you might have rage quit after episode 58 of this podcast, yeah. uh, assuming you've listened to all episodes until then. Um, dear Fiona, and everyone else who might have this opinion, you are allowed to just enjoy it for the fun of it. Yes. You're also not obligated to listen to our podcast if you don't want to hear people picking it apart. 
both of these things are your right as a free human being with independent thought and agency. Just like we are free to keep making this podcast the exact way that we enjoy making it. Yeah, and just to add to that, what I thought particularly funny when I saw this comment when it came in so long ago was that of all the episodes to leave it on, Lady of the Lake just seemed funny to me because I know for a fact that I got very invested in a lot of the things (laughs) I loved about that episode and praised it for its portrayal of Merlin's codependent insta-love and then later on all of the Mirtha so I just find it really funny um and also the episode that followed which was Sweet Dreams which I literally enjoy (laughs) so like it's one of my favorite episodes of Merlin because I just think it's so funny and it it doesn't matter if the Arwen sucks and it doesn't matter that it you know gives nothing to the overall like I don't want Merlin without Sweet Dreams I think it's great (laughs) Um, and that's fine but you know you can also talk about missed opportunities and you know do I think that Beauty and the Beast needed to be two parts probably not you know and it's stuff like that that you know you can enjoy but you know I can enjoy Jonas as the best villain of Merlin but still <laughs> agree that maybe he should have just had one episode to be the best villain that's just villain Kanan the Erasure that's Kanan the Erasure Kanan had his moment in the sum and he did his best <laughs> <laughs> he failed to kill Arthur. <laughs> I mean, so did Jonas. <laughs> yeah, but he, that was never no. But okay, but Jonas never had such high dreams. He just fair enough. He just wanted to be rich. <laughs> jo- Jonas was more realistic about his goals. As well. <laughs> Jonas just wanted to live in a palace. That you know, who can blame him? Really, yeah, we are all Jonas. We are all Jonas, really. Hashtag um, mood. <laughs> yeah, but kind of like you know, not on a serious note or anything. But I think. Um, the the more I kind of, you know, look at different fandoms and the more I kind of go into other fandom spaces, the more grateful I really am of what we have here on Merlisten. Because um, I know that we always say that Merlin is the kind of fandom that, oh, everything has to be nice. So you're not allowed to say this. You're not allowed to say that. I I actually, you know, now that I'm kind of like really in the Haiku fandom for a year and very, very active in there, I would actually say that fandoms like that have... A bit more of an issue with that and I think that when when a show is really really good like Haikyuu and it is fantastic like it is top tier like I would like I'm not comparing Haikyuu to Merlin it's not you know Merlin is not a particularly good show Haikyuu is a very good show but um there is a lot of hero worshipping and author worshipping that goes into a fandom like Haikyuu where basically particularly uh, the writer of the original manga is like they can never do anything wrong and look at this beautifully meticulously crafted world that is absolutely perfect and look at all of these decisions that were definitely made years in advance da, da, da. and any kind of suggestion to the otherwise or lord forbid you criticize the new art style <laughs> because to criticize or to have an opinion about the new art style is to criticize the original writer and that is disrespectful as though they care about my existence or my opinion <laughs> On, on, on the fact that now their characters have geometric shapes rather than hair you know it's like you know no they don't care about me and that's the and nor should they care about me because they should do exactly what they want with the thing that they created but that fandom is very much kind of um guys can we all just 
uh like oh what like can't we yeah just enjoy it and like why do you have to pick things apart like you shouldn't dislike this and this and that and that is coming from the fact that a lot of the people in that fandom are very young they got into haiku very young and the fandom is still weighted mostly towards young'uns and merlin luckily and i think i have you know we have been very spoiled i think with that we don't realize how lucky we are that a lot of older people are in the merlin fandom they're a bit more screwed on in terms of you know Hey, it's all right to just say, well, that sucked. <laughs> you know, it's it it's okay. And I think um, a more kind of harmful attitude is to kind of just be like, well, uh, just see the positive in everything because sometimes it's fun just to hate something. It really, it really, really is uh, harmlessly and not directing it at any individuals, but just for your own benefit <laughs> so um yeah sorry fiona that you felt you know that way i mean i feel like we've always tried to be really but like look all we are on melissa and this is what i would call melissa we are very honest we are honest and so that honesty will come from whether we love something whether we feel meh about something or whether we strongly dislike something and i think that the reason like you know that integrity is i think what has kept merlison going because you know there are a lot of people out there who would just you know talk about the amazing things but that's a bit boring to be quite honest with you so um yeah i mean i hope it, that you don't feel like it's you know super critical all of the time i don't necessarily feel like it is even though obviously i'm not an objective bystander but um i feel as though i I personally, I mean, I can't speak for Alex, but I get super hype a lot of the time as, and I will in this episode review. So, you know, I feel like there's so much that we talk about that we love. Um, I feel like me probably more than most, cause I just, you know, get so hype all of the time about everything that, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's entirely accurate, especially for Lady of the Lake. Come on, Fiona, come on. You know that we were really happy about Lady of the Lake, really. I mean, you know? my theory at this point is that this comment was just left on any random episode, not necessarily in response to this particular episode, maybe? Yeah, possibly. <clears throat> also, I mean, we are treating this as if um, this were a real comment. It's entirely possible that this is just a troll. Or just um, sarcasm and we're just kind of missing the, <laughs> missing the point completely. <laughs> If if this is sarcasm, please wave a sarcasm flag next time. Uh, it's really difficult um, over to... Yeah, like, I get that, but... Um, anyway, yeah. honestly, I've enjoyed this comment. I've enjoyed responding to this yeah. comment probably more than I will enjoy talking about the upcoming episode, but you know, um, thank you for leaving this comment. And I would like to point out that here at Merlison, we don't shy away from being criticized. Nice. We embrace it. Yeah. Oh, good. This is definitely not the worst comment we've had. So, no. and, I, and, I, and I'm surprised <laughs> we haven't got worse comments than this. Like I said, if this was a different fandom, we might have been, you know, it's honestly been a long time since someone has honestly criticized I us. Know. And that just, honestly, was... that just tells me that more people think like us than we'll actually say out loud. Either that or we're just not relevant anymore. Oh my god, <laughs> how much it must pain to not be relevant as though I give a flying fuck. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Let this podcast um, sink into obscurity and then I can just fuck off and stop making it. <laughs> sorry i'm a bit jaded today i should probably about what this time <laughs> about everything oh, <laughs> anyway um if you would like to leave us a comment that we then react to on our podcast uh, please leave it at our website melissa.parakaproductions.com you can also just type melissa into google it should come right up 
and then we will most likely react to a comment unless it is something that neither of us has anything to say about or we've already talked about this before in, in a comment section thingy. You can also find us on Tumblr and Twitter. Both are at Marlissen there and you know how to interact with us on these platforms. If you use these platforms, you can email us at marlissen.podcast at gmail.com and I will reply to you. You can find us on iTunes. Again, we're Melissa there. And then that means that you can also find us through all the other podcasting apps on Android phones and generally not Apple phones. We have a Discord and you can get the invite link on our Tumblr or our website or by talking to either Rox or me. And in this Discord, you can chat with other listeners. You can uh, join us to figure out how to become a guest on our podcast and many other things. We have a Melissa and Bingo because Rox and I are highly predictable and we like to repeat ourselves a lot. So you can play along to that. And finally, we have a Kofi page and you can leave us a tip there. Kofi is not a monthly subscription thing. It's a, it's a one-time you send us some money thing. You can send us money on there once and then never again if you don't want to. And all the uh, donations we receive through Kofi, we will then shuffle on to a Black Lives Matter charity in the UK by the end of the year. Okay, so much for that episode summary from the Merlin Wiki. Why don't you read it, Rox? Okay, episode summary. The great dragon is finally free. Full of rage, he attacks Camelot with pitiless intensity. The castle is crumbling and Arthur's men cannot hold out much longer, but only a dragon lord can command a dragon, and Uther wiped them all out years ago. Or did he? Gaius admits one such man could still be alive and in hiding. The last dragon lord is the key to Merlin's own past as well as the future of Camelot. But will Arthur and Merlin find Balinor in time to save the kingdom? Hmm. Pretty much accurate. So statistics. Woo! This episode aired for the first time on the 19th of December in 2009. There is one female character with lines and it's Gwen. There are six male characters with lines. Although I'm not sure that's right. I said Arthur, Merlin, Gaius, Uther, and Leon, but does Leon actually say something? Yeah, he says he says uh, two lines. And also Balinor has lines. Did you put him in there as well? I was talking about main cast first. Oh, okay. Um, supporting cast, yes. Balinor, definitely, that he's a sixth one. But I was just like... I said five main, like in my in my notes, it says five main cast, and then I wasn't sure anymore if Leon even had any lines. Yeah. But if you say he did, then I'm fully sure he had he had less lines than the guy in the tavern who's non-main cast. Like he had several Ooh. lines, <laughs> right? So there's actually three supporting cast. Two don't have lines. Yeah. <laughs> so that's eight male characters for this episode. I don't think Sandred soldiers say anything. No, they just shout. <laughs> they just yell. Right. Okay. So obviously the dragon appears. That's kind of the focal point of this episode. Um, he's also the enemy of the week. And then Balinor is killed by Senred soldiers or one of Senred's soldiers. So that's our... I mean, also all the knights except Leon are killed by the dragon. But uh, Balinor is the one that we care about. Overall impression of this episode, mine is... I just don't care. <laughs> But that might just be my general mood at the moment. I have a feeling that's probably the most likely scenario based on the way that you're already behaving. 
<laughs> Let's be um, honest with ourselves here. <laughs> yeah. I was just genuinely unenthusiastic to watch this episode today. And unlike last time, when we watched The Fires of Idir Sholas, when I kind of came around and got invested after all, this time I was just like, eh. So, um, yeah, if you're, if you're not very enthusiastic about watching Merlin or have a friend who's not very enthusiastic about watching Merlin, don't show them this episode. It's not going to change their mind. Okay, you go. Because I'm sure you have you are going to gush. Well, okay. The thing is, is that I um I have obviously like a very um p- personal attachment to this episode just because I I just remember the excitement of when it was airing or like when it was about to air because it was just so different. Like you know, I mean, it wasn't officially a two parter, obviously, but the episode before had finished on a cliffhanger. And uh, season two was the first season I watched um, on TV. So it was the first season finale that I had with um, basically a a season ending where I was going to have to then have a year hiatus. So The Last Dragon Lord was like majorly hyped for me. And I remember specifically um, how I was on my way to Poland in the car and it aired um, while I was uh, in transit. And the annoying thing was that like normally um i would watch it on tv but obviously like i couldn't and i couldn't access bbc iplayer abroad so what i had to wait was like a day or so until someone uploaded it in four parts on youtube because that's what people did back then you know they would they would just upload the episodes uh so i was just so excited to see it and i remember coming back to school uh in january and just gushing with my friends uh, because like we hadn't been able to kind of like talk about it in person because like social media wasn't really a thing then yet. Uh, I mean, it kind of was, but not on the scale it is now. So um, I do, you know, admit that I have like a personal relationship to it that I remember how excited I was. But honestly, like as time's gone on, there are there are episodes that I've kind of had nostalgia for that I've kind of lost interest in. Like The Witch Finder is an episode that I was really hyped for when it came out. And now I'm like you know i like it there are some bits about it that are really great but i'm not particularly like you know um and before i start you know i do just want to kind of put a disclaimer because i know that you know you wonderful darling listeners are just waiting at your keyboards to be like um actually um what i'm about to say is only my opinion so don't start getting up in arms about it because it 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 doesn't matter it's not real (laughs) but honestly for me this is uh absolutely the best season finale that Merlin has done and I'm not including the um the last episode of the show because that's kind of wrapping up everything so it's a it's a it's a bit different but that is also very good um yeah absolutely the best season finale that they've ever done um kind of let down by what comes after it which is season three (laughs) which kind of (laughs) just which kind of destroys a lot of like but if you don't know what's coming in season three the last dragon lord is such an incredible ending to the season it's so um impactful emotionally in terms of like things that happened to merlin and things that happened to arthur um maybe like that's why yeah maybe that's why i get so frustrated yeah, unfortunately because because i'm just like well now season two is over and i have to watch season three next it is very much let down by what came after because you know when you finish on on the last dragon lord you feel like something is about to shift. You know, Morgana is missing. She's not in the episode, obviously, because we're reminded that she's been kidnapped. Um, 
Merlin, you know, has a huge transition into his new powers and, you know, what that means for him as a character. And obviously, like, we know it doesn't really amount to much, but I'm just talking about this episode in isolation and not kind of what it ended up being let down with later on. You know, Arthur uh, has a huge kind of step forward in what his role is going to be in terms of the legends. And honestly, um, even, you know... So many years later, 10 years later, um, uh, this th- this episode shot straight into the top 10 episodes of Merlin for me, um, and it still sits there. I don't know precisely what, I haven't actually made a tier list of like top, <laughs> top 10 episodes, so I am just kind of being like, generally, oh, and and the episode preceding this one, which was Fires of Video Shows, I should have also mentioned that, that, that also shot straight into top 10. But um, yeah, I absolutely love The Last Dragon Lord. Um, and funnily enough, um, there are obviously uh, a lot of plot holes in it. And funnily enough, I actually love it despite that because I think the stuff that it's doing with the characters or what it was trying to do, again, before season three, the stuff that it did to wrap everything up, to push them into different directions, I think that it was so impactful for me emotionally and the stuff that they were trying to do with Merlin and Arthur's relationship um, and how it was kind of slowly shifting into something that, looked a bit different to how it did last season um all of the other stuff didn't matter like it doesn't matter to me that we you know it it doesn't make sense that the dragon wants to hurt arthur it doesn't matter to me that um it you know makes no sense that he has a change of heart at the end because what i think matters to me is that the episode isn't really about the dragon the dragon is absolutely a plot device and he's a plot device to move the story forward of the other characters that we actually care about so even though it can be a bit frustrating stuff like that I think because the episode as a whole just worked so well for me on an emotional level I don't really care that like what it got like how it got us there doesn't really make much sense because also I think we've all been kind of waiting to see what would happen when the dragon gets released and I'm talking about the audience in in 20 um in 2009 not not now because we obviously know but in 2009 you know kind of being like oh my god we've been waiting for this for two seasons it's been building you know it's been building so much and now he's let free what's he gonna do so I think that was also like hugely exciting at the time and uh, I actually would have been really, um, I should have looked up the stats for this episode myself in terms of like mm. uh, what the views were like when it, when it, uh, when it first released. Because this was when Merlin was beginning to get at its like first peak, like when it really was kind of mm. reaching so much popularity. Um, you said peak. Oh no, <laughs> I didn't think about that. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> oh, why do I'm, I'm going to delete all my work. I swear to God. <laughs> I'm going to orphan my podcast. I, I still will have listened to it and know about it. Uh, <laughs> that was just my reaction sorry, to that. I'm, I'm so sorry for derailing you. No, Please it's fine. On. I mean, that was really all I all I had to say was that it was really, really popular. And I think that this episode kind of really sealed the deal for a lot of people that were like, oh, Merlin's, Merlin's a really cool show. Um, and yeah, I can I can definitely see how knowing what comes after it in terms of you know maybe cooler episodes maybe episodes that kind of did more and it it doesn't seem as enchanting and as uh, cool as it did then but you know I think it is kind of also important well I mean for me it's it's important when I watch these episodes to try and be like okay well what how would I feel if I was watching this for the first time all over again and I think that Last Dragon Lord was just um 
I mean, it even gave me some surprises. I mean, I know that obviously, like, there is a moment where you're like, okay, well, Balinor's going to die. Like, duh. But, like, you don't know that as soon as you meet him. Like, you really do think, oh, well, maybe he'll stick around. And then, you know, he dies. And you're like, well, shit, well, what's going to happen now? And then you find out that Merlin has to, you know, then inherit his power. So um, I don't necessarily think when you go into The Last Dragon Lord that you know that the title refers to Merlin himself. I think that we think it's going to be some guest character that is going to stick around like, you know, Lancelot or Gwen or someone. Um, so I really like that as well. Um, even though obviously they do kind of make it painfully obvious that Balinor's days are uh, um, limited at some point where he starts talking about all the amazing things they're going to do together once they get out of this. <laughs> Merlin never lets you be happy. Don't ever talk about the things you want to do. <laughs> no, Merlin never lets Merlin let, uh, be happy. Yeah, exactly. Merlin the show never lets Merlin the character be happy. Yeah, and things. that, and you know, so he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna take you to the elder, and you're gonna be, and you know, we'll all be a happy family." I'm like, "No, you won't. <laughs> no, you won't. I don't like it's Merlin. It's like you haven't watched your own show or something. I don't know. Um, yeah. but yeah, um." Marlon plans and the show writer. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, so I can completely appreciate that kind of in the grand scheme of things, you know, looking back, it's sort of like, okay, it's, you know, another kind of adventure. But yeah, it's just, uh, it was such a departure from what we kind of um, had for so many uh for so many episodes already um but i mean i, I mean i have a huge soft uh, soft spot for season 2 in general i just think that it kind of really knocked a lot of different things out out of the park it you know made some really drastic decisions with like you know fires video show less and all that kind of thing it set up you know morgana's thing for better or worse <laughs> and yeah just last dragon Lord just felt like a really kind of satisfying ending um you know it wasn't uh necessarily uh super sad in any way like i feel like the coming of arthur part two had a much more melancholy kind of ending with you know uther losing his mind and arthur having to take over like you know in in some way shape or form and morgana betraying them all all over again um and then obviously the next season with agravain and just people betraying arthur a lot um but i think because the other season finales became two-parters sometimes they got a little bit lost in the fray for me like i was sort of a bit i mean this is great but did you know did it have to be a two-parter at the end of every single season and that sort of thing whereas i loved that season one and two we just had these kind of self-contained stories that ended up really packing a punch and i love lamor de arthur don't get me wrong but i just like um there's something about uh last dragon lord that just kind of i don't know and i uh here we go i'll say it it just hits different <laughs> there we go and i'll never repeat that i promise <laughs> i won't say it ever again but it just hits different but yeah i mean that's all of our overall thoughts we can get into a scene by scene unless alex has anything else to say uh no Oh, Lord. Okay. Uh, so we start off, which I've just called the one with the battle, and we open on a scene that we don't know. I call it the one with the burning castle. Oh, there you go. Uh, both yeah. equally as disturbing. Um, <laughs> and um, we start off with kind of uh, something that we very rarely see, and I actually don't think we've seen it in Merlin hardly ever, and definitely not so far. You mean exposition well done? Um, More like... Uh, we start in the middle of something like oh, think, right. like yeah. things have already been happening and we're kind of just thrown into the deep end you know when the dragon gets released we expect maybe in the next episode we'll see the beginnings of it but no it's been happening as we hear from Gwen for three days already and we see the direct repercussions 
And that just is such efficient storytelling that, what? (laughs) (laughs) Efficient storytelling in in, our moment? I know. In fact, one of the screenwriting books that I was reading before I started my master's degree a few years ago was um, the best way to start a scene is to start after a scene has begun and end it before it's finished. It's just a really effective way to kind of move things along at a really good pace. And this is kind of a good example of that in a way. And it kind of just even as the beginning of an episode, it's just so impactful. It's like, oh, shit, <laughs> like things are really not looking too good right now. And I just really, really enjoyed that. The fact that it's been going on for three days, like, you know, the dragon is dealing with some shit <laughs> like mm-hmm. emotionally <laughs> i just think it's a really well directed sequence for an opening like leading up to that title card with them you know all waiting by the um by the wall and how the music completely stops uh, as soon as we kind of see the dragon flying like over the moon and a- approaching them and it's all kind of scary and Arthur just being a bamf and being you know there for his men and promising that they're not going to die on his watch and then just that sweeping kind of like slow motion of the fire coming in which was used in the um in the promo uh uh oh, what's the name of it yeah, in the promo for like last week, but uh, but no, no, because I'm sure there's a yeah the, at the yeah. end of, of yeah. at the end of last week's episode they used this it for the one, promo. Yeah. It's like one of the shots that they used, and uh, it's it's just it's just always a good one to get me hype and uh, and then preview. We, and and then and then it takes us into the title which i just think for it just for an opening it it really kind of makes you feel like shit's going down this time yeah yeah aren't getting out of this alive although leon is confusing (laughs) and also this when they're up on the battlements before they're getting ready to shoot at the dragon marlon apologizing to arthur about this and arthur of course, doesn't understand why Merlin is apologizing because, as far as Arthur is concerned, Merlin has nothing to do with exactly. this. But then the camera is on Merlin's face, and you see how guilty he feels because yeah. we, as the audience, know that it's Merlin, like that Merlin is the one who freed mm. the dragon. And like, if for some reason we forgot that since last week, this is a neat reminder. Absolutely, it's. Uh, and you know on top of everything else he's dealing with in this episode he really doesn't need that as well you know and it kind of also packs an even bigger punch when you look at his face later on when Arthur's gathering his knights to go ride out and actually take down the dragon and he kind of sees all the men that are being led to their death because of his mistake and it's just oh Merlin Merlin Merlin. (laughs) you don't have it good you don't have it easy my friend um and then directly after the title sequence uh we have gwen being a bamf trying to go get clean water for everyone and it kind of makes me laugh because guys is like oh well it's too dangerous to go out there it's like well how how are you expecting to treat wounds without clean water they're gonna die anyway if you just let them (laughs) someone has to go yeah and gwen gwen's face just says well fuck that (laughs) yeah well someone's gotta do it or maybe she's just like you know what i've lived a good life This, this is that's you though that's you really <laughs> no but you can you can dream and she's like i got to kiss three guys it's more guys than morgana's kiss merlin three. merlin lancelot and arthur oh right i forgot more about merlin <laughs> i didn't <laughs> damn gwen gets around i know i think that's what katie said once in the behind the scenes she's yeah, like she's she gets kissed, all the boys she's kissed all of them oh, it's not there i want to kiss she's like katie we all know you want to kiss colin i'm sorry but it's it's i'm sorry okay 
<laughs> Poor Katie, she got stuck with the queer coded character who never gets any guys. I mean, she did get some, but none of them were. <laughs> she didn't even great. get this Alva. I was like this close, <laughs> like this close. <laughs> oh god. Oh, okay. So, um... Yeah. Gwen is being a bam. She goes out into the courtyard to get some, uh, what's it called water. Water. Yeah. And then what I don't understand. Um, the dragon deliberately injures Arthur, even though he has been preaching about Arthur's Christmas. Yeah, that's the one thing about this episode that's a bit kind of like... It's yeah, just like... It's just, yeah. Like, uh, like the dragon wanting revenge on Uther and maybe even Camelot at large for his imprisonment. I get that. But Arthur, according to his own words, is his great big sa- is his great big savior. So why is he actively trying to murder Arthur now? <laughs> it is it, it is the plot device to end all plot devices, shall we say. It is it is very yeah, especially since even in the last episode Kilgara was like, you know, if you don't kill Morgana then Arthur will die. And it's like you you've just mortally injured him. Like, what are you doing? Like, I can only kind of take it. You know, I like the, the way I can kind of justify it is like you know later on we hear Balinor's reasoning is you know well you know he's grieving you know and kind of finally all that you know imagine thousands of years of grief you know probably you know you're not thinking clearly right you're just like you know what fuck Arthur yeah. I, don't, I never liked yeah. him anyway. Um, <laughs> So he's just, just Merlin in the first episode. They're trying to kill Arthur. I'm gonna give them a hand. Yeah. And Kilgar is like, "Hey, that's not a bad idea." Um, so yeah, it's just it is it is very silly, but it's just kind of a way for him to get injured. Um, what I kind of don't understand, and this is something I would have really loved an explanation for, is how. Merlin is able to speak to Kilgara and Kilgara speak to him back without because because at first I used to think that like the only reason Merlin can talk to Kilgara and understand English is like because he's a dragon lord even if he hasn't had the ability to command him yet he has like the brotherly connection that his father says that they have but then I remembered Gaius speaks to him and Lancelot speaks to him later on so it's either a headcanon that I'm gonna have to have prized out of my cold dead hands uh, despite the fact that it doesn't make canonical sense or it's just another plot hole <laughs> uh, yeah I mean what gets me in this and this scene's purpose <laughs> specifically is that uh kilgara like shouts about your magic is not gonna save you blah 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 and i'm just like i mean we know that kilgara can speak directly into merlin's mind that's what we what he did in the very first episode when he called merlin like with with the mind yeah so i'm assume like i'm choosing to believe that that's what he did now Mm. or because i mean merlin also used his magic in the middle of the courtyard so presumably it was already empty or he was like not giving a fuck because last ditch effort. Um, yeah, I think but... everyone emptied out already, but Kilgara is yeah, because Arthur, because Arthur had said clear the square and then he only like he looked around to see if anyone was left. And that's when he saw Gwen yeah, and yeah. Ron ran over to save Gwen and then they disappeared through another crack somewhere. Yeah. And um, that's when Merlin stepped into the middle of the courtyard and like picked up the lawns with with his magic yeah um so yeah i'm assuming it's supposed to be like the same with when Gaius yells about it magically haha no one is around to hear it yeah it's always the way in merlin you just need to 
I think it's, you know, it's, again, you have to look at it, I suppose, from kind of like a storytelling perspective rather than a plot continuity perspective where it's like, what do we need to get across, right? We need to get across that Merlin's magic has no effect on Kilgara and therefore Merlin isn't going to be of any help in this situation. What's the fastest way to do that with efficient storytelling? Have him do magic and it fail and Kilgara say your magic won't do anything. So I guess that's just kind of how they were thinking about it is like, well, we just need to get the Dragon Lord plot moving because we need, you know... um, uh, we need Balinor in the equation fast, and we don't need like. And it is moving minutes. pretty yeah. fast. Yeah, so yeah, far. absolutely. I mean, we have a little bit of reprieve in the next scene if we're ready to move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, where, uh, where, where we're back inside the castle. Guy is treating the wounded, and also Gwen helping treating the wounded, and then there's Arthur like shirtless. And honestly, I think it's a cute scene, and I I believe it because Gwen looks a little bit awkward in it, like which goes with what we've been saying before, where Gwen didn't have any or at least no strong romantic feelings for Arthur, and she still doesn't, like in my opinion, she still doesn't have super strong feelings, but he's so sincere in his affection now, and it kind of impresses her maybe a little bit, and like she gazes up at him, or, like she looks up at him with this small smile. And he gazes at her lovingly and like presses her hand against his dirty, sweaty, naked chest that's also wounded. I think uh, it's meant to be his heart. <laughs> whatever. <Ish. laughs> I I had this. I had in my head uh, popped this uh, image from this scene in the first Captain America movie, right after Steve comes out of this uh, thing where he got turned into Super Steve, basically. Yeah. And there's Peggy Carter. Who just like touches his chest very like just like this kind of whoop yeah, 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 against yeah. his chest and you can see that she's like oh I just came a little bit yeah, basically yeah, yeah, yeah. and and that was that popped into my head where Arthur is just like taking Gwen's hand and pressing it against his manly chest and I'm just like all right I mean I you know I'd be okay with that but um <laughs> clearly Gwen is a better person than me she has higher standards and just being allowed to grope someone <laughs> but anyway I like this scene it's quite cute and it, it fits with the uh, what I have in my head about their characterization and how where they are in their let's call it relationship yeah uh, where Gwen is still a bit you know on the fence but coming around to the idea of liking Arthur and Arthur is just full-on in love already yeah absolutely um then we cut to the the morning uh which i've just called the one with the damage uh the one thing i do find a little bit strange continuity wise but again it's just for 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 uh plot convenience is that the dragon conveniently is only attacking at night like they just kind of have a uh a, a nice reprieve during the day where they can discuss uh how they're I mean, gonna take him down i mean maybe he's just you know uh he's like a cat only he just sleeps away today i mean yeah He's a he's a lizard basically. He needs the sun to like recharge That's true. his batteries. Yeah, so he's probably just curling up on a nice warm rock. Yeah, he's just sleeping right now. He's you know, he's just chilling while he plots his murderous tirade. <laughs> um yeah. I mean, that's what I would do. Yeah, totally. Um, I really like the kind of. Uh, I mean, it's just a small acting detail, but it just it just brings me joy. Uh, Bradley wincing quite a lot throughout these first few scenes and in this scene he winces when he sits down he winces when he gets on his horse later on because he's got the wound and i really really, i just i just like that i think it's i think it's kind of neat um and uh yeah this is a i really really like this scene a lot particularly 
Uther and Arthur's kind of like kind of energy that they've got going on like if you compare something like this to like a scene from Excalibur or the Labyrinth of Gedreth which was just so volatile like they've come such a long way and even though Uther is kind of not particularly happy about what's going on Arthur is still kind of standing his ground he's not letting his father kind of like dominate what's going on which I think is really nice because it shows that he's going to be kind of the next step in authority if that makes sense um and there's a really beautiful line here that i just absolutely adore it's you know where uther says my concern is for you and arthur says mine is for camelot which is so rare that we see that side of him um or at least that it being that way round you know normally it's uther saying well you know think of camelot and arthur's like yeah but what yeah. Are- <laughs> What I liked about this in particular is that, you know, Arthur says he'll go and get the Dragonlord and Uther says no. And we can tell that he says it as like a father. And then Arthur says, well, don't say no, dad. And Uther like immediately changes tech and says, no, this isn't, this isn't your father speaking. This is an order from your king, basically, which usually works on Arthur. Mm. But this time Arthur decides to define his king's orders so Uther realizes, well, shit. <laughs> My boy's growing can- up, yeah. And that's when he that's when he lets the father shine through again. It's like, "My concern is for you." Um Yeah, it's so beautiful. Yeah. And I love Arthur's kind of calm way that he approaches it. He just kind of goes, "Do not make this a test of Will's father." You know, he just kind of really like, you know, speaks in that like soft boyish tone. He's really trying to get through to him and um, yeah. and, I, I, and he's not getting like angry he's not trying no. to throw a tantrum like he has done in the past he's just yeah. very calm and composed and he's like okay this needs to be done I can't expect this from anybody mm-hmm. else mm-hmm. to do so I have to go and do it alone which of course means with Merlin yeah and like um, how he you know um, yeah like he said he isn't throwing a tantrum and I mean I I stan Arthur a lot in this episode I think that he I mean he's just impressing me a lot just like in a lot of the things that he's doing like he's really efficient yeah. he's really kind of um i mean specifically kind of the way that merlin and arthur's relationship is shown to be developing this episode which again gets completely thrown out in the next season but let's just call it the perfection that it is thus far um yeah. he's just so good and um i love his reasoning as well he <laughs> says it's too dangerous he goes more dangerous than staying here he's probably safer in senator's kingdom actually than he is in camelot right now and yet yeah. it's like well fuck he's got a point <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what i also like is that once guys is like okay so what if we had a dragon lord what i super expected was for arthur to go to go what the fuck is a dragon lord yeah but he doesn't like Arthur apparently either knows what it like either he can actually put one and one together and get to two and realize that dragon lord means probably someone lord of can, the dragons <laughs> you can actually you know make this dragon do what he wants or he has actually been told in the past what dragon lords like uh, presumably he might have learned some history of Camelot yeah. and learned that you know what dragon lords are but I'm just like, wow, I did not expect that. <laughs> yeah, and Uther does the, the the classic Uther thing, which is my favorite thing ever, where Gaius says something. Uther's like, no, that is ridiculous. And Gaius is like, but what if? And Uther's like, 
<laughs> like what have you done this time <laughs> which you know smuggled more goes out of camelot uh let the dragon lord escape <laughs> um god knows what else he's been doing and it's just like how many times can guys get away with this shit before uther just calls iridian again <laughs> oh my god it's so funny um yeah so uther lets him go and merlin and arthur you know uh get ready to leave and uh merlin is packing up his things which is when we of course get the I mean, plot twist, I suppose. Well, we, I mean, yeah, was this a, you know, was this a twist? I, I don't remember. I'll be quite honest with you. I think I I kind of, yeah. I feel like as soon as Gaius asks Merlin, does the name Balinor mean nothing to you? You're like, oh. Yeah. Like, that's, that's the point where like, right. Yeah. Merlin was supposed to have heard this name before. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And I yeah. feel like when Merlin gets very upset about this and he's like, I had a right to know. I agree. He had a right to know. Yeah. I don't know so, why they, I mean, there is nothing dangerous about telling him. It's just that they needed it for the plot, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like, what has Hunith been telling him at all about his father? I mean, Merlin must realize that he didn't just, you know, spring into existence fully formed as a baby. Like, he he presumably knows how children are made i'm sure he asked his mother about his father what did she say maybe it was just too painful for her to talk about it after all she did you know lose the love of her life as well but um what i think is you know and this is one of the things about this episode that goes under the radar but it's why i just love this plot point so much and it's this entire linking of the threads you know and again it's really really subtle but think about it this way balinor lived in camelot as a dragon lord and he had to escape or gaius helped him escape during the great purge um which was only happening because of arthur's birth and then Igraine's subsequent death he goes to eldor where he meets hunith and they have a baby and Uther still hunts him down and he's forced to flee which leaves Merlin without a father and without like a magical um parental figure or authority figure which then leads him to go to Camelot and so basically Merlin literally wouldn't exist without Arthur because it's only because of Arthur's birth that Merlin is ever born and it's only because of Arthur's birth and Uther's revenge that Merlin is forced to come to Camelot because he has nobody at home that he can relate to. And then it's because of Merlin that Arthur is alive at all. So it's this kind of amazing cyclical thing that only happens because of this plot point, because Balinor was a dragon lord and Balinor found who Presumably, that's what it means when the dragon says, you're two sides of the same coin. It's like Maybe that's one, where it, yeah. Like, one cannot exist without the other, Literally. because without everything surrounding Arthur's birth, Merlin would not exist. But also, if Merlin didn't exist, Arthur would have died in the first episode. Exactly. So, and like, so it's just this beautiful kind of, like, I mean, I love this whole Prince of Fate thing. I, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, sorry, it's just, uh, and again, if like the whole thing surrounding office birth had not happened no one would have 
reason, like Uther would not have gone on a killing spree and no one would have the need for revenge. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so Uther yeah, would not true. have died in the first episode because no one would have tried to take revenge on him. Yeah, but so, but like, yeah, but Arthur's birth would never have occurred naturally. So Arthur's birth was always destined to bring about Egraine's death because he couldn't be conceived naturally. So, it is just this beautiful entwined kind of strings of fate situation that obviously Merlin you know it doesn't even come into Merlin's head and it never comes into any of the characters heads you know we only think about it because we watch the episode through like an objective lens but you know I'm kind of a bit frustrated that maybe Merlin never realized oh yeah well if it wasn't for the great purge I wouldn't be here and and that's kind of really sad too because for Merlin to exist, you know, like, you know, and obviously it's not direct, you know, it's not like he's the cause of this, but it's kind of weird that it's like he only exists because of such horrible things that happen to his own people, you know, and it's just like, it's this tragic, but also beautiful kind of thing of like, you know, how these two people end up finding each other and kind of they only are alive because of the other and like, you know, weird, weird, weird situations. And then, yeah, it's just, I mean, I live for this kind of stuff, this kind of like fated, but we didn't realize it was fated until later kind of thing. We just think, well, Merlin just decided one day to get up and go to Camelot and he bumped into Arthur. But what we don't realize in that first episode is that, you know, it was always going to end up that way because of the events that happened, because Balinor left, because Merlin needed someone to help him because he went to find Gaius. And it's just, <sighs> I love it so much. Um, but yeah, so um, back to Balinor. <laughs> um, yeah, very, very... I mean, obviously we hear more about his backstory, which we'll get to later when we meet Balinor. But yeah, Merlin's very upset. Uh, but he and Gaius make up um, as he as uh, as he goes off and he says, you know, don't tell Arthur because it's a little bit too closely related to magic, which yeah, obviously don't do that, Merlin. Um, and then they ride off. Uh, they get to the tavern and we have a bit of a Disney's Tangled moment where they kind of walk in and all the ruffians are like, you know, knives out, which is really funny. I love Arthur, like my favorite, I just love Bradley's like tone of voice, how he can go really high because he's like, greetings. It's just like, why did you think that was going to get you any response other than the one that gave you, which is just a knife being, you know, taken out of its sheath. It's like, oh, look, pretty rich boys. Oh, man. Um, and yeah, so basically it's just a whole kind of collection of moments where they're looking for Balinor and then um, and then leading to uh, what I would consider to be one of the most important like Merlin and Arthur scenes. Really important, I think, for their relationship. It's just, I don't know. It's so upsetting to me that this kind of stuff now looking back just basically gets thrown into the pile with like with the rest because you know season three episode one it's you know it just gets reset this is what bradley always said in like you know interviews oh it just gets reset it gets reset this bullshit um and this is exactly i mean merlin and arthur have become friends at this point they are for one of a better word equals you know and arthur basically says so here he says if i wasn't a prince we would be friends and it's so frustrating that this is just like dropped. I mean, realistically, what should have happened at this point is that Merlin and Arthur's relationship in the beginning of season three should have basically been more akin to what it was like in season four. Like th season three in terms of their development was just completely meaningless. It went back to the start to season one. You know, look at the way that they are with each other in this scene. 
Arthur's basically saying, you know, you know what? Don't tell anyone, essentially, but I actually kind of like it when you talk back to me. It's really fun. It's, you know, entertaining for me. I don't mind it at all. Um, you know, I've got so many servants that just basically do everything I want. What I, you know, especially about you is that you just are yourself and you talk back to me. And that's what I appreciate about you, which is, you know, the first time he's ever really said anything like that to Merlin. It's so important, you know, because um, it kind of also mirrors you know in in a sad way what he says in diamond of the day part two which is that i want you to always be you and and you know he's telling him that here in season two not that we remember because his actions don't mirror it later on sorry i'm fine okay anyway um and and then I did, like as a, as a narrator i go in she was not she fine. was not fine uh i did actually <laughs> skip though a very very important moment which i would be a terrible human being and be kicked out of the fandom if i was remiss to point out that arthur takes his shirt off and the editor thought that was the perfect moment to have merlin looking at his bare back i'm like that's very heterosexual um <laughs> and then no but then colin like did you notice how he puts his eyes up like basically it goes shirt off Merlin looks, Arthur turns around, and then Merlin puts his eyes up. He's like, I wasn't looking. It's like, this is so gay. <laughs> Just like, I was gripping my hair. It was a lot. Um, uh, they, the, I, just as a sidebar, the most unrealistic thing about this scene is that after Arthur has thrown his pillow at Merlin, he doesn't immediately demand it back. I know. So they he has it back like... later on when they get, like, uh, when this, this dude comes in to kill them in their sleep. But, um, he has it back then, but I fully expected Arthur to be like at the end of the scene. Now give me back my. Pillow. That would have been a really sweet ending to it, actually. Like just yeah. to kind of wrap it up into because that's what I'm thinking. He's being so damn playful in this scene. Like I can't even keep the smile off my face because you know Merlin is just giving it back to him. Like he's not having it. He's stressed out. He's about to meet his dad. Everything is going to shit. Arthur's actually being relatively jovial, maybe because he's like, what else have I got to lose? You know, I'm gonna die. And um, you know, <laughs> Merlin just being like, yeah, well, if you want a prince, and I tell you to mind your own damn business. And that and and like the little giggle that Arthur kind of gives him when he goes Merlin you know he's just kind of so like just happy to be with he's, him I can't get yeah, over this scene he is definitely fond of Merlin he's That's, just oh, that shines through in this it's in so this, in this entire episode it shines through that it, he is fond of Merlin he just and it actually had being, me going man oh yeah it's just I was like, this is so far away from the start of the second series yeah. and I'm so glad and I completely blanked on the fact that we go back to, to yeah. the beginning in the third season. third season yeah it's just so sad because you know they're so like you said he's so happy to be in merlin's company the entire episode he doesn't say a mean thing to him at all and you know watching this for the first time like imagine what it must have been like you know especially for shippers and everything watching this for the first time and just being like look at them and you know the you know now the line if i wasn't a prince you know has gone down you know in history is one of the best lines you know Merthyr of all the Mirtha lines in the show. Um, but like, you know, you kind of forget how cool it was at the time to, be, you know, hear him say, if I wasn't a prince, I think we'd probably get on, you know, or or I think he says something like, oh, well, we can't be friends because I'm not, you know, because I'm a prince. And it's just like, oh, it's just the class keeping them apart, hidden themes. I'm just, I'm not coping. I didn't think I was going to get so emotional about this scene. I've watched this tavern scene so many times, but it's just the laugh and the pillow fight and just everything in between. I'm fine. 
she was not fine. I was not fine. She but, was yeah. still not fine. <laughs> she was not fine. Like, it's like the narrator from George of the Jungle. It's like, yeah. they reacted with awe. <laughs> um, she, she reacted with a key smash. Um, yeah, so that's basically where we leave these two. And, I mean, basically the the purpose of this scene, not only to kind of show how like at ease they are with each other and how kind of far their relationship has progressed. It's also to remind us that Merlin is keeping yet another secret from Arthur on top of everything else that he's dealing with. Now he has to lie about, you know, his father and Merlin is very distant. And this is the thing is that Merlin, Arthur becomes most kind and sweet to Merlin when Merlin's keeping it him at length, like, like at arm's length. And it's just, when you think of like, you know, kind of in Lady of the Lake, he did the same yeah. thing. And it's kind of like the most adorable thing I've ever seen in my life because the fact that Arthur is this like, you know, mean kind of spirited guy when it comes to Merlin, but then the second Merlin gives him the cold shoulder, he's like, hey, you know, he's like, please pay attention no, he's just to like, me. He's just like, Merlin, Merlin is not mean to me. What is wrong? <laughs> yeah. He's just like, please pay attention to me. It's just so cute. Um, and then, you know, we have a bit of a flashback, like kind of, um, moment back to, um, well, well, what I've called meanwhile in Camelot. (laughs) Me too! (laughs) Meanwhile, back in Camelot. Meanwhile, back in Camelot. We have a couple of these moments, actually. Uh, I mean, this... Which I like, honestly, because it reminds the viewer that there is actually a really serious situation going on Mm. in Camelot. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, the the content of the scene itself is a little bit pointless. I don't really know why Gaius needed to get dragged into the Arwen bullshit. Like, I feel a bit oh. sorry for him, to be honest with you. He's, Same. He's I don't like Gaius, but even I feel bad for him. <laughs> I'm just like, oh no, another victim. But, like, um, I do think that I I do enjoy Gaius being this kind of grandfatherly parental figure to the young'uns. I think that it's just really kind of sweet. I loved it when he did it with Morgana. And this is actually the first time that we see him doing it with Gwen. And I I actually really like Gaius and Gwen's relationship. We don't see it very often, um, but like when he calls her my child and stuff like that, I really enjoy it. And um, yeah, you know, it's sweet. But yeah, the actual content of the scene is like, oh, I know it can never be. It's just like, I don't think I can tell you a sentence that I enjoy hearing less <laughs> than that. Um, so yeah, uh, Morgana's still missing, bit of plot continuity. Yay. And yeah, so uh, the one with the midnight visitor, we have a, a ruffian come to uh, sort some things out, aka steal some money. The only note really that I have for the scene apart, you know, like it gives them some uh, gives us some exposition, but A, nice day for night, buddy. And also uh, Arthur kind of showing off his like warrior senses because like he basically like, you know, they're, they're kind of soldier sleep, you know, where he doesn't really sleep. He kind of sleeps in a light way, but then, you know, he's kind of half awake so he can grab stuff if someone tries to attack him merlin on the other hand does not have that he's fast asleep no. until someone's literally on top of him he's just like... <laughs> it's like what's going on it's so funny um also again like arthur just really impressing me in general in this episode he's being like um what what i like to call his calm fury he's just kind of like do you value your life and like that and like, he's just like you know where he lives he's just being really kind of like you know bro you're about to lose everything i <laughs> just do what i tell you it's really cool and uh i like it when he's like efficient like that and capable uh both words i would use to describe arthur maybe not when it comes to facing the dragon but being a warrior soldier he does a pretty good job so <laughs> um do you have anything to say about our darling ruffian or not really 
No, I'm just, my first notes are when we find Valamore. Yeah, so same. Just, just keep going. Yeah, just, we have a nice jump scare to have him um, come in. What I do like about Valinor's introduction, however, is that even though I absolutely will concur, and you can prize this out of my hands if you want, that Valinor is Slytherin AF, I do actually think it's really, really sweet that, you know, su- supposedly Valinor hates everyone and everything, and he doesn't want to help Camelot and doesn't give a fuck about anything until he hears guys his name and then finds out Merlin is his son but he bumps into this random kid in this cave and the kid says my friend needs help and he asks him to bring him in and then helps him even though he has no reason to and I'm like it just proves that he is actually a good guy deep down he's just had mm-hmm. trauma and so I just really yeah. appreciate that yeah so I have uh and then like you know he he speaks a little spell or something over Arthur to make sure that Arthur survives and will be fine in the morning. And then Merlin is very, ca- like, very casual, trying to be very casual, totally failing because Balinor already knows who they are. He calls like, it least- love, yeah. <laughs> or at least knows who Arthur is. Uh, but, like, Balinor is very, like, Merlin is trying to be super cash. Um and then trying to trick Balinor into telling him that he's Balinor and so on and so forth. And then Balinor's whole speech um, about vengeance and how Camelot deserves to fall, in my opinion, poses a very interesting ethical and philosophical question. Because the questions are like, with several questions, like who deserves to be punished? Uther for giving the orders? Sure. Uh, the knights for following them? <clears throat> Probably. The people of Camelot for not stopping Uther from what he was doing? And is it okay to punish the next generation as well? What in this situation would be just? And this is, and I know this might sound super far-fetched for some people, um, and, you know, it's maybe not the most appropriate to apply to this situation, but this is very post-Nazi Germany. I was going to say, speaking from the German, it's you all know. Of a sudden, Like, all of a sudden, this is very, you know, it opens up a bunch of uncomfortable questions, not just for me, but just how, you know, um, we should deal with people who lived during uh, Hitler's regime, because not everyone in the population knew nothing about what was, what was happening. Like, the signs were there, and like, who do you punish for this? Or do you only do you punish everyone and only accept those people who were actively helping in some way? Um, and I don't necessarily want to try to answer these questions because wow, uh, that's hard, and uh, that's what people have been discussing basically for the last eighty years. Oh, absolutely, I, I totally see those comparisons and. I think, though, what comes across more for Balinor is just that, like, I don't even necessarily think that he believes that it's the right just thing to do, like, to let everybody die. I think he knows that it's not necessarily right, but he doesn't know what else to say because he's full of so much grief and loss that he's just like, I just don't care about anybody else. Like, I just, you know, I don't care if you die. I don't care if Camelot dies. I'm not saying it's right, but I just don't care like like he probably thinks yeah it's right for Uther to die but I don't know like you know I think yeah I mean I think there's also you know there's a lot of trauma and depression in his life and he just he just has to and I'm I'm not saying like I'm not even joking about this I mean this entirely seriously he 
has to expend so much energy on just uh, staying alive himself yeah. and on, on keeping going and not let his own grief, his own depression, his own trauma basically take him yeah. and make him commit suicide yeah. pretty much every day that he just has no space left to show compassion for people who in his own memory have done nothing to help him yeah. and who have actively persecuted him and tried to kill him. Mm -hmm. And I think what is really important to note about this scene and, you know, even as someone who, you know, Uther is in like my top three characters probably in Merlin, even I can't defend Uther on this one because you know, what Balinor tells us, which we have no reason to assume that he's lying, is that not only did Uther lie to him and basically asked him to bring Kilgara in under false pretenses to make peace with him and then try to kill him, but when we've spoke, I mean, and I feel like Uther has kind of changed his tune a bit in his old age, shall we say, because he generally kind of leaves people to their own devices these days unless they've kidnapped Morgana. But like, um, <laughs> and then he remembers the druids exist. He's like, oh yeah, I should probably go do something about that. But um, at this point in the story, when maybe he was younger and more volatile, Uther, um, you know, Balinor escaped and Uther followed him, you know, and he basically went to hunt him down, even though he was in a kingdom outside of Uther's control. Yeah. And it's um it's really sad. And yeah, like I said, you know, I'm I'm not here to defend Uther on this one, babe. You fucked up. <laughs> you know, like you shouldn't <laughs> you done fucked up. You should not have done such a thing. Um, but I think that on top of everything else you know when he just found you know a slice of happiness when he you know he left everyone that he knew behind all his kin dead all the dragons dead but he fell in love with this woman and he had well i mean he didn't know that he had a kid but you know he was about to have this kid and you know when you think about as well um i don't know how long they were together but imagine you know it wasn't very long because they they would have met I assume they probably fell in love relatively quickly, but he left before Huneth knew she was pregnant. So they probably were only together like maybe a couple of months and they fell in love obviously very quickly and very deeply to the point where he still thinks about her today and she has never remarried uh, or, or like married at all. I, I mean, I think the implication is that they never got married, you know, because they were rebels, <laughs> you know, they just kind of, you know, <laughs> went for a roll in the hay and well, there's Merlin. Um, but I think that it's, it, surprise. <laughs> surprise bless him can you imagine how cute he would have been as a baby oh my god i can't even um and i just think that it's so sad what happened to him and i just the way that he tells this story you can tell that it had the it's still so raw for him all these years later i mean it's been decades at this point and he says you know uther hunted me like an animal i had a life you know and he took that away from me and um you know, when he says, I understand how Kilgara feels, it's just this beautiful kind of um, link back to obviously the original plot device that's driving this entire episode, which is the siege on Camelot. And all of a sudden, even though I don't like Kilgara per se, in that moment, I will admit, it gave me a different perspective on him as a character because I thought about this creature that's been locked in this cave for the entire time that um, Merlin and Arthur have been alive. And it is a speck of dust on, you know, the entirety of his life, sure. But he's lost everything. Like we said, he and Balinor are basically in the same situation. And 
it kind of makes you go, well, damn, can we really blame Kilgara? Like like Balinor says, I understand how he feels. He's lost everything. And if you want to know how that feels, then, you know, I'm not going to stop you know i'm not going to stop him from destroying everything you love because clearly you don't understand how that feels and it's just oh like you said it's such a difficult ethical dilemma and i think unless you've been in that situation it's kind of difficult to point fingers and be like well you're in the wrong you know because i don't know what it feels like to lose everything and be lied to and be hunted and chased and then live in a cave (laughs) it's just um yeah it's so sad what happens to him i wish he'd have met Huneth again that's the one thing I'm just like oh no <laughs> it's so sad but at least you got to meet his kid uh, and speaking of you know Merlin's like what if one of them was your son I don't have a son and then just as Merlin's about to confess um, Arthur has a bit of a homosexual moment um, where, uh, um, oh did I say homosexual I meant bisexual oh, sorry did I say bisexual I meant very very not straight um, uh, where he just queer he's just queer <laughs> Very much, but oh, a capital. Um, yeah, where he moans. I mean, apparently they thought that was appropriate just to have him moan in Merlin's name for no reason at all. Like, oh, I love it. I love Merlin. I just, it's just okay. It's so bad. Um, and yeah, so that kind of puts an end to that because Merlin's like, oh shit, he might think I'm gay, and so that puts an end to that conversation. Um, and yeah, like I said, uh, Balinor is a Slytherin, and I will take that. And I mean, that's where Merlin got his Slytherin side from. Let me tell you. Um, then in the morning, Arthur is high as a kite off of whatever magic juice Balinor was like. I I put that to uh, the one where Arthur is on drugs. <laughs> he is not okay. Um, I mean, he is very okay right now. <laughs> um, what I think is really funny is that like uh, Merlin's like, oh, he doesn't want to help us, and then we have this like cut back to uh, like. Oh, hang on a second. This is when guys actually oh, speak. Sorry, to I completely got these mixed up. I think the one before was Leon um trying to um keep the dragon. The one bit. before is is the the one before is yeah Leon. Oh, that's one of his lines. Yeah. Uh, is Leon and all the all the knights in the courtyard trying to kill the dragon and the dragon just breathing fire on them. Sorry, listen. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I mean, the the point about why does Gaius have to get involved in this yeah. is still valid yeah. now. We have this fucking like back. But what I find really funny, and I didn't realize until I watched it today, is that it basically just sits in the middle of the scene with Merlin, Arthur, and Balinor. Like it just kind of is sandwiched in there for kind of like a stopgap for while Arthur goes over to talk to him, and then he comes back and it's like he'll change his mind. But what I think is brilliant, like it would have been so much better if they just hadn't put that in there. Just like had Arthur walk over, keep the camera on Merlin, like have no sound whatsoever. Wait like 30 seconds. Arthur w- walks back into frame and it's just like, he'll change his mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they decided to put that. I mean, you know, fine. That's fine. Um, <laughs> and also, oh, that would have been hilarious. Isn't like a bit, like I can't remember if it's in the first bit of the scene or the second bit of the scene after the cut. But like the camera just goes over to Balinor. He's just standing at the like by the river, stoic with his hands in front of himself, like Darth Vader, like just kind yeah. of really still and like just kind of like, what's the pose that will make me look the most intimidating? <laughs> <laughs> Balinor's a massive dweeb who like carves dragons out of shit and it's just like he tries to look cool but he's really not and it's just so funny um so Balinor says uh no I will you know I won't help you fuck you and um 
basically what ends up making him turn around is Gaius, who was a friend and who helped him escape. And he remembers, you know, when Merlin says that. And I love this. Again, um, I love that he doesn't really give a flying fuck about Camelot, but he understands that actually, no, do you know what? There were people that helped me. Um, and uh, I mean, I mean, he says that later on, but I'm just like paraphrasing for, you know, for, it, for in this moment that there were people that helped him and he should repay that debt. And again, I I like Balnor as a character. I fuck with Balnor. I think he's great. You know, he's got he's got issues, but I feel like I, you know, I get where he's coming from and I really like that he kind of did the right thing for the for his own right reasons. You know, he didn't do it for some cause that he doesn't believe in. He didn't you know what? No. This guy did this guy, he did me a solid and I feel like this is the right thing to do, you know. Um this is before he knows about Merlin, so you know, he's he's got a good heart. He's been through a lot, you know. <laughs> um then the one with the campfire Martha just being like incredibly endearing and just kind of destroying me in every single way again um yeah they're just like there is no plot reason necessary for this moment they're just being like really sweet and Arthur like cheering Merlin up and them just bantering over the dictionary <laughs> it's just it's just a lot of the things that Roxanne appreciates deeply um but it's just like a short little scene and then Balinor rocks up and he's just like yo I've changed my mind um he does like a whole rose with Jack like, Jack I changed my mind you know so he's all like you know being really into the whole idea suddenly because of Gaius and Merlin is really really happy about it because he's like oh my dad is a good person I knew it and that's also happening as well you know that he's kind of having this existential crisis he's like oh my dad isn't who I thought he was he's you know such a bad person and now he can have faith again which is really 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 great um and uh then the one with the firewood which is such a good scene it's such a good scene except okay I think it's a great scene, but the one thing that bothers me is that Balinor, I mean, obviously he already liked Merlin as a person before now, so he's probably more inclined to, you know, trust Merlin. But the thing is that Guy, uh, not guys, Balinor has lived for, let's say, how old is Merlin supposed to be? 18 years uh, or 19 years by himself in a cave and he is deeply mistrustful of most people because he got fucked over by Uther quite a lot so um what I wish had happened is that when Merlin starts talking about the woman in Eldor, he would have said first Hunith is my mother instead of Balinor saying Hunith's name first because right. if because they hadn't mentioned her name before and if Merlin who has no other way of knowing Hunith's name, would have said, I am Hunith's son, then Balinor would have known that Merlin is definitely saying the truth, because how else is Merlin supposed to know the name of Hunith? Everything else that Merlin says is that he grew up in Ialdor. He has already heard from Balinor the name the, the name of the village, Yaldor. He has already heard from Balinor that there was a woman that he loved and that he had to leave. Yeah. And like then but then it's Balinor he says uh who says Hunith's name and Merlin says, Well I'm her son. And Balinor, I mean he just believes it because the plot needs us needs him to believe Merlin. But I wish Merlin had said the name first because it would have been I think it would have made more sense for Merlin to give Balinor that as a piece of like the truth, as proof 
that Merlin is saying the truth. And then Bellamy yeah. could have absolutely believed him. That is my only That's true. complaint yeah. about this scene. That's true. But I, I wish maybe yeah. it's kind of like, you know, not I'm not saying that he was thinking this like when they first met, but maybe when Merlin says that he like sees the resemblance to Huneth maybe in something in Merlin's face and he's like oh he is definitely telling the truth you know like how some kids just like really resemble their parents maybe that's kind of like where he's coming from I mean maybe he's also thinking that well why the fuck would he claim to be my son yeah what have I got got to offer (laughs) what have I got to offer this kid so maybe that's where he's coming from as well but like yeah that's something I really wish had happened that Merlin says it first because it would have made more sense to me that Balinor only believes him because Merlin knows something Mm. that he has no way of knowing. Yeah, that is true. And like, I didn't really think about it that way, but I think that just the scene is just so beautiful that it kind of like actually slipped me by like all that, like all this time, but no, you're right. It would have maybe been, but maybe it's kind of important that Balinor is shown to kind of soften a bit. Like maybe if he'd have been like, Oh, how do you know that? Like it would have maybe kind of, you know, cause he's, I know it's only one episode, but he's already kind of made progress as a character, you know, to trust Merlin a bit. Um, And also because he knows Gaius, I think he's probably like, oh, well, you know, this kid is good, right? You know, he's not going to (laughs) lie. What I, (laughs) Gaius doesn't lie. (laughs) Oh, honey. Gaius doesn't lie. Gaius already tells the truth. Um, I love the bit at the very beginning where he's like, oh, I'm sure we can find a way to make it light. And he kind of gives him like that cheeky smile. And I'm like, ah, cute. That's really sweet. I love the uh, the the little tidbit here before we get into like the whole father something, like when he talks about um, the old religion, because we've always talked about like whether it's, you know, um, something that you're born with, something that you can learn. And Balinor kind of confirms for us here that no, you can't, you can't learn it. Like you either have it or you don't. So that's kind of um, confirmation, I suppose. But I, but I guess like the level to which you're maybe able to then master it will depend on what your circumstances are, right? Which I think is really interesting. Um, so uh, <laughs> my favorite thing that Balinor says in this scene is when. Um, uh, Merlin talks about his mother and um, Balinor says, Hunith, is she still alive? <laughs> I'm like, how long do you think you've been there? <laughs> I mean, she could have, They the, the soldiers could have killed her when they didn't find Balinor right. with her. She was, she probably would have died because of Kanan if Merlin yeah. hadn't brought Arthur to yell. Like, there are plenty of reasons why it's reasonable for him to believe that she might not. I mean, this is this this is the six hundreds yeah. or whatever. No one like lived. people don't usually survive past twenty five. It's just the way he's like. It just made it seem like he, oh, she's still alive. Like you know, like she died of old age or something. I'm like, Merlin's only like twenty years old. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, and so yeah, that was really funny. Um, and the the fact you know they kind of like cute way Merlin goes around the bush around the bush to like you know and Balinor is so you know kind of like oh you know he he just says oh she married that's really good and it's just so heartbreaking then she never married I'm your son oh I can't and they just turn around and just like stares at Merlin and that silence you know that he kind of says um 
that like that just kind of like like uh, stays between them. They don't really say anything, and then he just says, "I don't know what it is to have a son," and Merlin says, "Nor I a father." And I'm tearing up. I'm just so. <laughs> I'm so emotional about this moment and I don't normally get this way about this episode, but it's just that kind of like, she never married, I'm your son. It just gets me every single time. Um, it's so beautiful. And what I love about this scene that I never really noticed before is that, you know, they're talking about, you know, like he's carrying this kindling and he's talking about how, you know, they can make it light and how he will be able to make it light with magic. And it's kind of this symbol of like, you know, the gift that he has and, that you know he talks about it being a gift and he's holding it in his hands the entire scene and then the scene ends with him walking up to Merlin and handing the kingling over almost as though you know we're being told in advance that he's gonna pass the gift of the dragon lord onto his son and I'm just ah, oh, I'm soft <laughs> I feel really so. I also feel very soft about the fact that Arthur is like sneaking around in the background. Did you notice that? Yeah. <laughs> what is he doing? Well, he's presumably he's just walking around keeping guard. Yeah, but why is he keeping guard of those two? I just have this image now in my head of Arthur being a terrible gossip. He has to know everything. How did he not find out about Merlin's magic before? I don't know. He's just like, ooh, that looks like a conversation I want to be interested in. I'm gonna just like <laughs> listen in. Yeah, it's it's a look on his face. It's just like he's like as he's walking, he keeps his face like, yeah, his, like his eyes on them. You're not he's keeping like, watch you? very well, are you? You're supposed to it's just like, like, what are you talking? It's like barely that he's you know leaning back as you walking away <laughs> to make sure he can look at them longer. It's just like Arthur, you're not subtle. Oh my god, he's such an idiot. Um I love him. Yeah, it, I do too, but it's you know and then obviously my like, you know, you must not tell Arthur and da 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 da. And then we have a really beautiful scene with them by the campfire where um uh they uh, where Balinor's just making him a little a little dragon and Merlin's just talking to him. What I really love about this moment is Merlin asks him why he never came back and Balinor is like, you know, it would have been dangerous for you, da da da, which is completely fair. But then Merlin says, we could have come with you. And Balinor says, well, what kind of life would you have had? And it really reminded me, I don't know if anyone out there watches or watched Once Upon a Time, but just really quickly, it's basically about fairy tale characters that were cursed to live in the real world. And the evil queen from Snow White was super, super jealous and everything and like all that kind of stuff. And she basically put a curse on the entire land that brought all the fairy tale characters to the real world and she trapped them inside a town that she created out of magic that was frozen in time and would remain frozen in time where she had all of the power. So they walk around like regular people, but they don't have any memories of their past lives and they're all kind of cursed to be living unhappy, unfulfilled lives. Um, except for the fact that Prince Charming and um, Snow White's kid is professed to be the savior who will be able to break the curse. And she is sent into the real world through a magical wardrobe as a baby. Um, and so she's separated from her parents. And uh, basically she grows up thinking that she's an orphan and gets brought into this town to then uh uncurse them essentially um and and uh, and in the end she does break the curse obviously this means that the like this daughter is the same age as her parents in the show because they are frozen in time and she grew up as a regular human but um the really sad thing is is that there's a scene um after the curse breaks where um 
she says look it's you know you you did this because you're heroes and that's what you do and you think about others and you were thinking about your people and how you wanted to break the curse and I get that she says but um that doesn't change the fact that for my entire life I've lived alone and um Snow White says to her but but if we hadn't sent you away then you would have been cursed along with us and she says but we would have been together and what curse is worse and it's one of those questions isn't it of like you know is it best to stick together you know like you know whether it's friends family whatever is it best to kind of stick together in shit circumstances or give the people you love a better chance you know at life and I really love that moment here when Merlin just has this like fantasy for a second where he's like we would have been happy it's like I mean I don't know if he would have been happy living in a cave <laughs> um but you know I think you know it's a it's just kind of I think indicative again of how lonely he is at the moment that even the thought of living in a cave is <laughs> preferable to living in Camelot oh honey how oh, Merlin um and then that little moment of you know good night son sleep well father and it takes him a while to get the words out because he's so not used to saying that. And I and I know we don't see Balinor's face, but my headcanon is that he had a similar kind of giddy expression just before he said goodnight, son. The two of them enjoying this. And obviously in this scene is where he says, when we're done in Camelot, I'm going to take you to Eldor. And Balinor just kind of says, she won't recognize me. The tragedy of all of this killing me. Can you imagine Huna's face if she had recognized him immediately, which you know she would have? It's just like she would have looked at his eyes and she would have and in, in, face. Instead, what you get to imagine now is Merlin visiting her sometime in the yeah, future telling and telling her that he met his father, but his father is dead now. Yeah. I like to think that she'll be really happy that they met, though, because she, you know, she knew that she was never going to see Balinor again. So it's not like she was waiting for him to come back. You know, she, you know, she's lived without him for uh, for 20 years at this point. So I don't think she ever expected to see him again. I think she'll just be, you know, so happy that Merlin got to experience that time with him, you know, the day that they spent together. yeah, it's just, it's so sad. But um, Merlin wakes up to a little dragon just sitting there next to his bed. And it's so sweet. And then Senra's men attack and, you know, yada, yada, yada. Balinor gets in the way of one of their swords to save Merlin's life. And it's, um, uh, I love as well, um, we always talk kind of about that instinctual uh, um, instinctive magic and the f- I think this is the first time we've ever seen Merlin just like um, I don't even know what you'd call it it's like it just comes out in like an emotion I don't even know if he means to do magic he just screams out and his eyes glow and the guy is just like you know pushed up against the wall um, it's something that we've mostly seen from Anna uh, when she does the uh, when she breaks all the all the glass in the in the window council chambers and it just I just love that kind of um moment from him and I don't think we really see it any other time where he just kind of yeah the magic pours out of him in like a you know it's just so so sad to see and then yeah just Balinor saying well I guess you inherited your father's talents then and it's just oh I can't deal with this (laughs) it's 
choice. What I find what I find super heartbreaking is um Merlin is sobbing over Bellinor, right? And um and then Arthur shows up and sees that Bellinor has died and yells yeah. no because that grows his hopes of you know killing the dragon. And Merlin hears Arthur and he's like you can see it on Colin's face where he like starts holding a hand in front of his mouth so Arthur can't hear his sobs. He wipes away his tears. He makes himself stop sobbing and crying because um, Arthur doesn't know what Balinor means to Merlin. And so Merlin just makes himself stop having feelings so Arthur won't find out. Which, as we find out later, (laughs) Arthur found out anyway. At least a part of it. No, he is, you know, he is very observant when he wants to be. You know, but, um, yeah. I think that when the plot demands it, plot demands it. Yeah. Um, that is such a heartbreaking moment for me. And you know, just to think that this kid carries so much on his shoulders and always has to do it in silence. You know, that he isn't even given the chance or the space to grieve and cry when he needs to. It is just the worst cruelty you know that you can kind of put on a character especially one so young you know I mean, he's so young and he's experiencing all these traumatic things you know that moment when he's got his father in his arms and he kind of like he like you know he can't even really say it probably but he just says i can't do it alone he's just like begging like please don't leave me by myself i don't know what i'm doing you know and it's oh too much you know and balanor frantically just trying to give him you know the information he needs before he you know, before he dies, you know, that the, the dragon's heart is on, I don't know, right side, I think he says, yeah, the right side of his chest. It's, uh, it's, you know, and I've seen enough in you already to know that you'll make me proud. Just, um, a lot. Yeah, Merlin cannot catch a break at all in, in this goddamn show. Um, the scene we have, you know, afterwards is also very emotional, which is when they come back to Camelot. And Arthur has to inform his father that the Dragon Lord is dead. And I love the look Gaius gives Merlin because he's just like, oh no, it's another sleepless night. Merlin crying himself to sleep, he's going to have to deal with. <laughs> you know, he's just very, very upset about this. And, you know, Balnor was his friend too. Um, and just, I really love how helpless Uther looks in this moment. And he's been through a lot too, you know, and losing Morgana, seeing his kingdom destroyed by a magical creature, you know, I think that he's just kind of fine with Arthur kind of, you know, taking over at this point. Um, Arthur says, you know, we will ride out and fight him on our own terms. I mean, I'm so proud of Arthur in this moment, but just kind of not admitting defeat, if that makes sense. He's just, I don't know, like his like tenacity is so inspiring, I think, in this moment. And he just says, you know, we can either go out there and do that or we can sit here and wait to die, you know. And Uther, Uther says, you have my blessing. Oh, just father-son moments in this episode are killing me. Um, I, yeah, I've just written down Arthur being brave. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it's... Uh, uh, and also, I love that, like you know, even even Uther admits the irony of you know, oh, I would have wished for his death, you know, more than anything, but just not today. <laughs> <laughs> Any other time, just not now. Would he have 
done with Balinor after he'd completed what he'd asked. Like, think about it. Uther would have used, uh, you know, a magical person to complete, you know, to help them. Presumably, this would have not gone under the radar of the citizens, or at least the knights, you know, who have been under his rule. What happens after that? Like, like you know, how do you recover from that in terms of the way that you look and your stance on magic? Because he would have to let him live. Like, you know, he couldn't execute him. So what, you know, but then what happened? People are like, well, I guess magic is fine if you're doing it for good, right? Like, imagine all of the repercussions of Valinor actually living. <laughs> and yeah. he had to die. That was just... <laughs> Couldn't couldn't have that. Couldn't have magic be revealed. <laughs> Very frustrating. Um, Arthur, um, you know, having a really emotional moment and symbolic moment where he, you know, says that, you know, that he needs knights to ride out with him, and um, you know, the chances of returning are slim. And Leon is the first one to come to his side. I love such an underrated friendship. All as a fan sleep on it. We really do. Um, and we should talk about it more. Uh, he's just so loyal to Arthur. He loves him so much. And I just... He's a good, tall, ginger lad. What I find very convenient is that there were... And you see it because there's this overhead shot once all the knights are circling Arthur, which, again, which I find nice as in like kind of foreshadowing maybe the round table maybe that's deliberate or not but also i paused and i counted and there are 13 knights how convenient that arthur said i need a dozen and there were 13 in the room and he was like well only if you want to help it's really funny though because that kind of statement is a bit like you know because say like you know half of them go you kind of feel like well like imagine if you were the one that did like genuinely didn't want to go but everybody else did and you're just like well fuck now i feel like i have to and then you died and you were like well shit (laughs) (laughs) i want to be here i mean (laughs) the thing is they all die except leon i I still don't understand how he survived the dragon turned the fire on that entire group of knights like i don't understand how he's still alive it's just so bizarre. Um, uh, Merlin is sitting in his room, just kind of, you know, thinking about things and looking at his dragon toy that his dad made for him. And um, really upset. Um, I really love um, the fact that we kind of now find out, you know, um, your father was not dead yet. Uh, it's only been that you could in- inherit his gift. And we didn't know that before because, you know, Merlin's like, well, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't face up to the dragon before. And what I think is so interesting, and I know that this has kind of been, you know, sort of said before, like, you know, in the fandom, like since this episode aired, but, you know, um, again, two sides of the same coin. Arthur's power, as it were, his royal title is only inherited once his father dies, and Merlin's power and dragon lord abilities are only inherited after his father dies, and they really are two sides of the same coin, but in different ways, you know, magic and whatever, sword, I guess (laughs) Um, and I love that, I just think, again, the show doing so much to kind of, you know link them in these kind of destinies of Merlin being destined to become this incredible warlock that's famous amongst druids and magical people and inheriting this incredible gift the same way that Arthur is going to inherit and become the greatest, you know, king of all time. Um, and then they, you know, and then and then season three, I guess. 
and then season and three, then, yeah, I guess. right <laughs> look by the way i actually think there are some pretty good things about season three but i'm just in terms of like their relationship and the way that they kind of handled everything is there um yeah um and even like how Merlin definitely still has his doubts about whether or not he can actually face him, you know, because he asks Gaius, you know, like, do you think that I'm actually up to it? And I really like that Gaius is kind of like, well, I guess I'll tell you one way to find out. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we, we love Gaius. Um, and then we have a beautiful scene. Um, really, really good with kind of Merlin getting Arthur ready for the, you know, and Arthur's, oh my God, you know, I honestly have so much respect for Arthur in moments like this. And he he had this um moment in the fires of Ida Sholess as well, where he kind of was just, you know, ready to face death. Um and he has this moment here. This time I feel like really like death is, you know, very much around the corner for him, or at least he thinks so. And he's like, well, you know, at least we don't have to clean this mess again, you know? And it's just, oh, it's so um kind of melancholy and morbid, but it's just kind of so so interesting the kind of casual way that he goes about it we as the audience know that he's not gonna die you know but um he's just so playful with Merlin he's just like you know yes sire and all this kind of thing just trying to have one last nice moment with him and um when he turns around he says you know one thing I tell all my young knights no man is worth your tears which obviously became a really famous you know quote you know Merlin says well you're certainly not I think there's a deeper kind of thing here that I really appreciate um, where, uh, and again, I'm sorry, I'm going to just compare this to another show again, but this is just kind of like, I feel like it's kind of a fair comparison. Um, it's about it's about Attack on Titan, but don't worry, I won't actually like spoil, spoil anything. It's just like a general thing. Everyone knows that a lot of people die in Attack on Titan, so that's not a spoiler. But um, there's a scene in the show where one of the... Um, one of the scouts says to another scout, like there's been like a lot of death and there's like a big battle and everything. And this, uh, there's a situation where um, uh, so, so someone could potentially die and they have to basically decide if they should let them die or not. And this uh, character says to another, you know, they're tr- because uh, the second character is trying to passionately fight for this uh, person's life and their comrade and everything. And the first character basically is like, um, I know how this feels. I've been there. I've basically had to say goodbye since the since the day that I joined the Scouts, and it feels like every single day someone new dies, and every single day you don't know who it's going to be. And the character says, um, uh, "Eventually, you realize that one day you'll have to say goodbye to everyone that you've ever met if it's not you that goes next." And they say, you know, it's hard to keep your sanity sometimes and it's hard to keep going knowing that that the people you meet and the people you you, you love, they'll be gone maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, but they will die. And that, you know, and this moment for Arthur where he kind of says to Merlin, you know, no man is worth your tears. I really just felt that, like, like especially after watching that show, Merlin, you know, there is no real death in Merlin, but it's just kind of can you imagine what it must be like to be in a position like Arthur's where not only is he a knight, but he's, you know, the leader and, you know, yeah, he go, he doesn't know what's coming. You know, he, he, he woke up three days ago to a siege from a dragon, you know, he didn't have a clue that that was coming. And now all of a sudden he's facing his own mortality and he does every single time that he goes to do battle as do his knights. And that must be hard to not go insane, to not know when it's going to be you next 
Um, and that is kind of, yeah, I just, I just really felt that in this moment. I was like, you know, Arthur, I know that we make fun of you a lot, but you're all right. <laughs> you're all right. You are a brave boy. And I couldn't, I couldn't do the things that you do. I couldn't just be like, yeah, let's go fight him on our own terms. I would have probably just been like, I'll just sit here and wait for the authorities. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Arthur is the authorities. <laughs> a higher authority, like my father. <laughs> I'm not king yet. Um, and yeah, this scene is like such a lovely balance of sweet and funny um, and touching. And Merlin basically, you know, um, admitting that he's going to come with him. And it's interesting to me that Arthur still is surprised when Merlin says that he's going to stand by his side. But maybe it's like, you know, kind of really putting into perspective how much Arthur doesn't expect to survive this. You know, he's just like, well, you still you still really want to come with me? He's like, yeah, absolutely. Um, and okay, I'm like, it's a bit embarrassing. I'm just going to say it. I genuinely, when I watched this episode in 2009, we were so naive back then. I thought that we were getting a magic reveal in this episode. I really did. I really, really did. I, I genuinely thought that we were getting a magic reveal at the end of season four. Like that, I also readily admit, did not expect one in season three, but then again, didn't expect much from season three at all. So, mm. um, and then season, this episode for me, I was just like, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. Like, I just, I can feel it. Like, like he's going to find out something like we're going to find, like, like it's all going to happen. Maybe in like the final battle. I was so convinced that we were going to get something. And particularly in this scene where Merlin's just kind of like, I know it's hard to you know hard for you to understand how I feel. I was like, oh my god, he's going to tell him. Oh my god, he's going to tell him. I don't know why. I you know now looking back, it's ridiculous because now we know that they had no intention. But at the time, we didn't know this. Okay, <laughs> at the time, we were like living in a in a simple, more innocent existence where we were like, well, maybe they might actually give us something interesting rather than just recycling the same plot for five years. No, I was yeah. Can you imagine how cool it would have been if he'd found out this way? Um, um, and then we have the one with the fight uh, with the dragon, which is just basically kind of you know bog standard. Like he kills a bunch of people, and Leon survives somehow. <laughs> Arthur being very brave, bless his little heart. I do really love Arthur in this one. He kind of like squares up to the dragon like one on one, and then gets uh, knocked out because of course. <laughs> well, he gets a good hit in first. It's just that Arthur doesn't know the dragon's heart is on the other oh, side. Oh, that- oh yeah, I never really thought of that shit. Oh. Poor, yeah. He would have he would have fallen killed Kilgara if he had gone to the other side, but Marlin didn't tell Arthur that the dragon's heart is on the other side. He had one job. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Um. Yeah. So apart from my notes on how the hell did Leon survive this, the rest of my notes are basically the, the reason Leon survived this is because the fans demanded oh, it. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think he was meant to like like he did die in this episode. Like I think they even confirmed like yeah like he wasn't you know he was gone. <laughs> and then he showed up in 301 and we were like oh yay <laughs> I guess he was the only one with a name so you know I mean you know mm-hmm. Rupert I'm sure is grateful for the money so um <laughs> yeah um, yeah and then we have just such a touching moment. I mean, I was just so touched. You know, we get this beautiful slow motion walk of Merlin just looking really um, overwhelmed and kind of full of emotion. And his father's voice in his head or in his heart or like wherever you want to say that it is. Um, just, you know, the 
and that piano kicking in as soon as he starts talking his father right there with him as he's about to you know do this really really important thing um and you know him just saying you are the last dragon lord now i get chills every time i can't help it it's just so like such a powerful scene for merlin as a character you know again i can't stress enough how impressive this was when it aired and how important it was for him and um yeah just kind of how overwhelmed he looks and then we have that kind of high angle but close-up shot and he literally looks like he's possessed almost like when he when he does that roar like his entire jaw kind of like sets downwards and it looks like it comes from somewhere like out of his control like it really is the dragon lord taking over now i've expressed my feelings very much uh, and often on this podcast how I feel about Merlin speaking in Dragon Lord and I know that Alex has the complete opposite view <laughs> um I like it a lot the exception is indeed this scene where I feel like it's like I'm not turned on by it at all um but I do like it like for the first time that we hear it it sounds interesting and Merlin is like he's not because in the future, he just basically just always yells it. But this time, there's actual emotion in the words. So even though we don't actually understand what he's saying, we can assume that he's saying something like, why are you killing innocent people? Stop it. Something like that. Um, there's actual emotion in it. In the future, I feel like every time Ronan uses dragon yeah. speech, he's just... <laughs> He's just yelling. Not yeah, it's not. That's not hot. No, I mean, I think it's just more because like we know that when he's using Dragon Lord speak, there's like such a commanding presence to his voice that we don't normally get to see because he's usually like the lackey. And you know that when he's speaking Dragon Lord, he's like, "I'm in charge now, bitches," and that's kind of hot. Like, but no, in terms of like the actual like color of the language, no, it's not as good later on. But this has so much like variety to it and yeah you said it perfectly emotion and like where he starts off really really loud and then he kind of like he takes his time with each and every syllable like you know you can see his mouth like forming the words really really distinctly like he doesn't mumble he has like you know his mouth wide open when he speaks and then you know he kind of goes into that like whisper where the dragon starts to kind of like you know like kind of Lola's head back and forth as he almost looks like he's being put to sleep and it is such a beautiful like kind of language they created I mean it's based off of old German like well I mean that's what they that's what they said anyway um in the behind the scenes which is uh done purposely to like you know distinguish it from the old English um of the regular magic that he uses and it really feels distinct. It feels distinct. I love that that roar. I think it must be kind of imposed with some kind of like um, vocoder or something because it definitely feels like I don't know if Colin was capable of making that sound himself. Like at least not completely naturally. Um, but yeah, I I absolutely love it. I have been a fan of that ever since it first aired. Like you know, seeing it for the first time was so cool. Like just seeing him speak in this other language that we haven't seen him speaking before absolutely amazing and yeah he decides to show the dragon mercy and lets him go and kilgara asks for forgiveness again this to me isn't necessarily important i don't care about kilgara in this episode for me this episode is about merlin balinor and you know kilgara is a is a window dressing to their plot but um yeah i don't really know what he 
what his what his goals are in terms of well i, I just killed many people literally two minutes ago i killed these knights <laughs> and now i'm like i'm so sorry <laughs> really oh, okay um he flies away uh arthur wakes up and believes that he's dead despite no physical evidence of a body um and he's so surprised to have lived it's so cute he's just kind of like ah, ah. <laughs> it's so great just kind of gives like a ah. i love and i love it it's just so um yeah genuine like that's probably the reaction you'd have if you went out for a you know a uh, suicide mission and came back alive um Merlin gives him this incredible smile and says he did it, um, which, you know, I don't know if he's talking to himself or to his dad or to Arthur. I mean, you know, he's talking to someone. Um, and then they walk back to Camelot in slow motion, Uther looking through the window waiting for his... Oh, yeah, that's that's <sighs> perfect. How did we become such Uther stands? I don't understand. I mean, I was always, but it's just now we're just like, Uther does anything and we're like, oh, it's so cute. <laughs> Um, I mean, Uther does anything that actually shows affection for other people, and I go, oh. He smiles in that moment, and I really like the kind of detail that we see him close the window, because otherwise we would have been like, how did he not see Gwen and Arthur? <laughs> like, that would have been a little bit weird. But yeah, he closes the window and smiles, and he's like, my boy is back safe, and then Gwen hugs Arthur in full view of the guards, and yeah, okay. Oh, man, I'm just, yeah. Why? What is going on? Let me be clear about something. Roxanne is a very big fan of big romantic gestures in fiction. Everybody knows this. I love the whole running together, crashing into each other and proclamations of love that you've been keeping because, you know, you weren't going through a traumatic event at the time, but then the traumatic event brought all the emotions out and you're just like, there's no time to waste anymore and we must tell each other. And then, of course, you're torn apart by the jaws of fate once more. I love that kind of stuff. But this wasn't really that passionate and it also was a little bit like he's come back from stuff before like it's not like he's this is the first time he's lived through a very you know dangerous experience so i'm also just a bit like i mean yeah <laughs> like it like it was quite sweet kind of but again then they go back to square one and they then live side by side for a year without anything progressing in their relationship so a bit like oh well i guess it was just like an aspire of the moment emotion thing okay uh merlin and guys have a hug and merlin says that i felt him there with me which is just oh. and then we obviously the audience is told that actually you know the real paternal relationship here is merlin and guys and they'll forget it and guys will always be you know the, the father he never had and you know merlin is very happy about that and we finished on the merlin and guys scene as they walk off into the moonlight as it were yeah which is yeah. i mean it's a little bit goofy i like 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 richard is like um like put his arm through merlin's like he's he's just got his arm through merlin's and he's just like grinning as they walk off and like looking up at merlin because like he's at least a head shorter than him he's just looking up at merlin it looks a little bit like out of context this is definitely Look at my boy toy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Gaius, <is> the dog. <laughs> <laughs> that 
is season two, and I'm so sad that we're done with season two because it's Roxanne's favorite season. So yeah, Aww. I mean, I like the other seasons too. Don't get me wrong, and there are definitely episodes that I love in like you know season three. I mean, wait, oh, wait till we get to Crystal Cave, but wait until we get to Gwen. Wait, oh my god, I forgot about that. Yeah, Gwen, Gwen, Crystal Cave, Sorceress Shadow is fucking amazing. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of. Season two is such a nostalgic season for me, and I love it. And I'm, I'm just kind of ah. Sometimes I wish it was 2009 again. Like watching these episodes just makes me pine for a simpler era <laughs> in my life, in the world in general. The early noughties were just, they just hit different, man. <laughs> no pandemic. Ooh, you said it again. That's oh, the second time you said I that. I wouldn't, but then again, you know, you guys should learn not to trust so easily. So. That's all. Just like Balanor. Just like Balanor. (laughs) He trusted and then he died. (laughs) Anyway, we will be covering uh, the entirety of season two next week. Next month, we'll be doing a season two overview, I believe. Yes. So we will be discussing character journeys, shipping dynamics, rating our favorite episodes, and more. So make sure that you tune in for that one. I'm actually, I I love these recap episodes because you know me, I, I love a good tier list. There's one thing that gets me going even more than age difference, youth and guys romance. It is a tier <laughs> list. So I can't wait to do that. Um, And yeah, hopefully you guys can make a tier list of your own. R- uh, rank your season two episodes from like best to worst before next month. That would be really cool. Uh, Yeah, I think that's everything, isn't it? Yeah. Do you maybe want to tell people where to find you? I can be found in the darkest recesses of hell, as well as Twitter, where I am with Snowfox, Tumblr, which I never use, so don't bother. And I'm also on Discord. You can ask for my handle if you want. And I'm also on AO3 as Miss Snowfox. But unfortunately, all of my fic at the moment is about volleyboys. However, Martha is basically like the like non-high school volleyball AU medieval of Kagehina, so you might probably enjoy that fic. <laughs> so go ahead and watch go and read it if you want. Where can they find you, Alex? Ooh. Uh they can find me on AO3 as Zen underscore reads where I post hockey pod fig. And they can also find me on Tumblr as Creative Akusa or as Incredible 27. Zen Credible 27 where I reblog educational stuff, a lot of art and some fun things. Woohoo! Yeah. So our theme music was composed by Sidesteppings exclusively for no listen. All the other music in this episode is from freesound.org. The man on our cover was made by Berlin's Keep and the cover was made by me. As Rox has already mentioned, next time we shall do the season two overall recap. We will have a guest for that. It will be the lovely Anne coming back for yet another episode. And that has been all I have to say in, uh, in this week. So, I have been Zancredible. And I am Miss Snowfox. Talk to you next time. Bye!
somehow we finished season two on age difference romance Uther and guys so yay <laughs> 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 